rarely hear anybody use this word to describe Jesus Christ, and that is the word courageous. I want to talk today about the courage of Jesus. One man said life shrinks or expands in proportion to one's courage. I saw this video a few weeks ago. Uh, We kind of have a confused view of what courage is. Recently, whenever I was watching this, I thought, well, these are some thrill seekers right here. They are jumping off of a cliff in Switzerland with a wingsuit on and just jumping off and flying. So I guess one day somebody said, hey, we've been jumping out of planes. That's been pretty fun. Why not put on some wings and just jump off of a cliff without the plane altogether? And I have to admit, whenever I watch this, a part of me just gets nervous. I'm not even there. And I'm getting nervous watching the video and my stomach starts to turn. But there's another part of me that watches that. And I think, man, that would be fun if I didn't have a family, if I didn't have adult responsibility, and if I didn't have a brain. But I have all three of those. (laughs) So you're not going to find me doing any of those. These men's courage didn't impact anybody's life, but the courage of Jesus impacted the entire world. If you have your Bibles, turn to Mark 2. If you don't, don't worry about it. We have the verses up on the screen for us today. If you don't own a Bible after the service, we have some in the back. You head on back there and we'll get you a free Bible that you can take home. But part of what courage is, is doing what is right when everybody else thinks it's wrong. You know what I'm talking about? Doing what is right when everybody else is going to criticize you and put you down. And nobody did that better than Jesus. He once said, woe to you when everyone speaks well of you. Heard about a grandfather many years ago riding into town with his grandson and they took a donkey. He put his little grandson up on the donkey and then he overheard some people saying, what a mean little boy making that poor old man walk into town like that. And so he took the kid off the donkey. He got up on the donkey and then he overheard some people saying, what a mean man making that poor little kid walk into town like that. And so they both got off the donkey and they were just walking the donkey into town. And he overheard some people say, look at those dumb two people, not even riding the donkey. The donkey's right next to him and they're walking into town. So they both got on the donkey and then he overheard some people saying, oh, look at those two guys abusing that animal. You're going to wear down that animal, both of them riding on the donkey. And so the last they were seen was the grandfather and the boy were carrying the donkey into town themselves. You can probably relate, right? Every leader, whether it be a parent to the president, knows what it's like for everybody to criticize. But Jesus had the courage to do what is right, even in the midst of criticism. When I think of courage, I think of Jackie Robinson. I don't know if anybody else thinks of him as well. There's a movie out about him, came out a year or two ago. But an even bigger hero in his story is his mother, Mally. Five kids she was raising. She had three jobs trying to keep everything together. And she instilled into her kids the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. So whenever Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier in Major League Baseball and really all American sports, when people were hating on him and throwing racial slurs at him and spitting on him and threatening him and intimidating him and being mean to him, he remembered the words of Jesus, turn the other cheek. And she's actually the hero and the one with courage in that amazing story. But even more than Jackie Robinson is Jesus. As we study this passage, look at verse 18. We're going to go through several verses today. 
Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. I won't ask a raise of hands how many people fasted this week because no hands would go up for any of us, right? Me neither. Some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting but yours are not? So there's a group of guys, just to explain. There's a group of religious leaders, the holier than thou, the uh, religious elite are here and they're looking down on people for not fasting. In the Old Testament, there was only one commandment to fast and that was one day on a year, the day of atonement. One day out of 365. But the Pharisees took that and they decided to be a little bit more spiritual and fast twice a week on Mondays and Thursdays. And then they started holding that over all the other Jews and looking down on them when they weren't doing what the Pharisees were doing. But, but it wasn't even in the Bible. In Luke 18, Jesus gives a story of a Pharisee who prayed to God, God, I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all of I have. Is it good to fast? Sure it is. It's usually done in the time of grieving or repentance. But their man-made laws became more important than God's laws, and that creates a rigid faith. You know that happens today? People look at their spirituality, and it's based on the order of a church service. It's based on the style of music. It's based on how you dress. How you dress is more spiritual than another way that you dress, or how you talk, or, or the style of preaching, or the, even the style of building. And all of those things have their place, but they're all man-made. They have nothing to do with Scripture, nothing to do with Jesus, and Jesus comes along and has nothing to do with them. You know, he had no church building. They had no order of service. What do you think Jesus wore whenever he was teaching? He had no amazing garments. And then he goes on to explain uh, in verse 19, Jesus answered, how can the guest of the bridegroom fast while he was with them? They cannot. So as long as they have him with them, but the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. And on that day, they will fast. So if you go to a wedding reception and the father of the bride gets up and welcomes you and says, thank you for coming to my daughter's wedding and celebrating. Now for the next few hours, we're all going to fast. What a party. <laughs> you'd all leave there saying, what a cheap steak, right? That's what you'd be thinking. You don't fast at a wedding. Now Ecclesiastes says there's a time for everything, a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance. And Jesus was saying at a wedding is not the time to fast. Actually, the Pharisees made a law. You cannot fast at a wedding. So Jesus was using this over them. He says, I'm here right now. There comes a day when they will fast, and they did when I leave. But right now is not that time. So here's what we learn about Jesus, about Christianity. If this is all new to you, here it is. He is about being celebratory, not gloomy. Spirituality with Jesus is about celebration and rejoicing and being glad. It's not about gloomy, hard rituals. God wants a joyous relationship, not rigid rituals. My wife and I, we do some things to let each other know that we love each other. We have some probably ritualistic things, ways that she lets me know she loves me, ways that I let her know I love her. Uh, and one of them, I don't want to get too specific, but one of them, whenever I leave, I just, hey, I love you. That's simple. Probably everybody does that. But it's, it's ritualistic. I'm not even sure she hears it every time. And she may yell, but I love you too. But I'm walking out the door and it is what it is. Do you know what my wife really likes though? 
what really connects to her heart, when out of the blue in the middle of the day, when I'm gone, all of a sudden she gets a text from me. I miss you. I love you. Looking forward to getting home today. Came out of nowhere. It came from the heart. It was spontaneous. It wasn't part of the ritual. It wasn't a peck on the cheek. It was real. She likes that. Now, if I was to come home and say, I've been reading a marriage book lately, and it says I need to tell my wife, I love you more. So, honey, I love you. Oh, that's so romantic. That so grabs her heart, right? And Jesus comes along and says, all that ritualistic stuff. You know, I've, um, I've talked to people, a lot of people actually, couples who sit down and they're battling something big in their marriage, maybe an affair. And I've often heard one of the spouses say, all that ritualistic stuff we've continued to do and I hate it because I know there's an affair going on in the background. All the pecks, all the rituals, all the I love yous doesn't mean anything. Actually, I've come to despise it. You know, God says the same thing. In Amos chapter five, he says, I hate, I despise your church services. That's what that means. Religious festivals, your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. Maybe that's why the greatest commandment, whenever somebody asks Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Do you remember what it was? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. That's real. That's not ritualistic. Following Jesus was never meant to be rigid and difficult, but about joy and celebration. I believe when Christians gather, it should be a celebration. Jesus died for us. He came back from the grave. He's alive today. He's entered my heart. He has changed my life. He's changed many of yours life. That is a reason to celebrate. Amen. And the Bible teaches that. Do you know when heaven celebrates the most? Do you know when that is? Scripture teaches us when one person is lost and gives their life to Christ, even the angels rejoice. I was thinking about the biggest celebration in that context that I've seen about three or four years ago. Uh, A member of our church had a 13, 12, 12, 13 year old boy. He was just giving his parents a hard time. Um, I know that's the first time that's ever happened in the history of the world but just giving his parents a hard time, didn't want to come to church, didn't want to listen, and, and really just being disrespectful all throughout the week. And, and they were praying for him, and, and we had talked about it. But then over the course of about a month, he started listening. He started asking spiritual questions. His heart started to soften. And one day on a Sunday afternoon, about 4 p.m., I get a call. Actually, it kind of woke me up from my Sunday afternoon nap, right? God said, take a nap on Sunday afternoon, I think. It sh- if it's not in there, it should be in there. But about 4 o'clock, I get a call. He wants to give his life to Christ. We're going to baptize him in a cattle pond out in our hayfield. And it was a day like yesterday. It was cold. It was windy. How many of you enjoyed yesterday? It was just the most, (laughs) Tyler, no. But it was like that day and it was raining and we went out to a hayfield where there's just a cow pond, clean water, I assure you. And about 80 people or more stood by the bank in the rain, and the, the father baptized the boy, and he raised and walked in the newness of life. And I'm telling you, the way mom and dad rejoiced, I'll never forget it. And 80 people on the bank of the pond stood and applauded, and there was not only rejoicing there that day, but there was rejoicing in heaven. 
When someone is lost and is found, we celebrate. Chelsea was just telling me yesterday, uh, three months ago, a 13-year-old Northwest Wisconsin was kidnapped and she was found yesterday. She made her way home. Do you think the family celebrated or what? When someone is lost and they are found, their celebration. So even in the midst of intense criticism, Jesus kept his celebratory attitude and joyous spirit. You know, I've had people look at me after they find out I'm a, I'm a Christian and they give me that sad, sorrowful look. Oh, I'm sorry you're a Christian. I'm sorry you drank the Kool-Aid. I'm sorry you got caught. Oh, you don't get Sunday mornings anymore, do you? I bet a tenth of your income goes, oh, I'm so sorry that and they just give me that sorrowful look. And I just want you to know, if, if you feel bad for me today that I'm a Christian, I just want you to know I'm glad I'm a Christian. I'm glad I have Jesus. I'm glad he's in my heart. Nobody has made the difference in my life more than Jesus Christ has. I wouldn't want to go one day of my life without him for the rest of my life. And when I think about the difficulty that this world is, when everything else has been shaky, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. When people have let me down, God has never let me down. And when I have felt alone and nobody understood, God has been with me. He's never left me and he understands. And when I've been anxious and battled anxiety and nervousness, I knew that I could cast my anxieties upon him because he cares for me. When I'm not sure I could win the battle, I am reminded that God has already won the battle at Calvary. I'm telling you, God can bring joy into your gloomy situation. He can. Jairus in the Bible had a daughter. She had passed away. Jesus comes along and they criticize him for, being, for not being sorrowful enough. He goes into a room, he says, get up, little girl, and he gives the girl to the parents, and they celebrate. When Jesus returns, and he will, it will be a moment of celebration for those who have been waiting for him. And then he goes on in verse 21, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. No one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. And what Jesus was, this was courageous. He was teaching them, there's only two faiths out there. There's religion, and there's Christianity. Hinduism, Islam, Confucius, I mean, there's a thousand, even atheism. And then there's following Jesus. All of them over here, is about proving yourself to God, trying to climb the ladder to get to God. This one over here is the story about how I cannot prove myself. I'll never be good enough. And so God came down the ladder to get me through his son, Jesus Christ on the cross. He came to get me. And he says, you can't mix them. You can't pour the new into the old. You can't take your Judaism and mix it in with Christianity. You can't do that. It doesn't work. It busts the wineskins. That took courage to say that. You know, it goes on in verse 23, and Jesus makes a point of it. One Sabbath, and which for them was a Saturday, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples walked along. They began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? There were 10 commandments in the Old Testament. You've seen the movie, Charlton Heston, right? So we know there's 10 commandments. There were actually 613. And what the Pharisees did was they added man-made commandments to the 613. They ended up with tens of thousands of commandments. A lot of them ended up being Sabbath commandments. So for an example, they, they came up with a man-made rule. On the Sabbath, if you took a fig and threw it up in the air, you could catch it 
with the hand that you threw it with. That was okay. But if you threw a fig up in the air and caught it with the other hand, that was breaking a commandment. Okay. That was a man-made commandment. Another one for the women, you women aren't going to like this. Women were not allowed to look into a mirror. That was against the rules. Because they thought a woman would be tempted to see a gray hair and then pluck it after looking in the mirror. No, no one would do that, right? Even today, a practicing Jew in Israel, if you go over there, they have special elevators on the Sabbath. You are not allowed to push a button on an elevator. They would consider that work. And so they have elevators that stop on every floor. They just came out with a new command that you're only allowed to go up elevators. You can't go down elevators. Not sure they thought through that one. That poses some problems. Verse 25, he answered, have you never read what David did when he, was, when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for the priest to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. He's saying that they twisted it all. So the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Hey guys, David actually broke a biblical commandment. You're not holding it over him. We're breaking your man-made commandments and you're hating on us. Why are you doing that? And so we learn that Christianity is celebratory, not gloomy. But number two, we learn that following Jesus, Christianity is flexible, not rigid. Did you know that? It's flexible, not rigid. Churches forget this and we apologize. Churches forget that really we're not supposed to be rigid. An old preacher story. Years ago, a preacher was going to church. It was, a, it was like it is in uh, Massachusetts right now. It is, it's, how, it's cold, iced over. The bridge was out on the way to church, and the river on the way was even iced over. So the preacher put on some ice skates, and he skated across the river to get to church. When the church people found out, they were appalled. You skated to church. And they had an emergency elders meeting after church, and the elders were mad. And, he, and the preacher said, hey, either I... I don't come to church or I skate across the river to get to church. How do you want it to go? And the elders couldn't agree until one elder finally settled it at the end. And he said, did you enjoy it? (laughs) And when he explained that he didn't, they said, then it's okay. Are you kidding me? Even churches forget. This is about flexibility, not about being Rigid. That's what Jesus was coming across here and saying. So some of you are here today, you're checking us out. But in reality, you have some bad church experiences in the past. You've been burned, and this is probably why. There was a group that became rigid about the rules rather than flexible. And so what I want you to know is this. There's a lot of churches in the area, and there's a lot of good churches in the area, in Cyprus and Katy, in Houston, all, all I want you to do is to find a church, whether it's this one or it's another church, but I want you to know this. We're gonna be changing things sometimes from Sunday to Sunday. The seating arrangement may not even be the same next Sunday. Our music may not be the same. The order of service may not be the same. And in six months from now, this is gonna look like a totally different church than it is today, and that's okay because methods change, but the message never does. It's not about the rigid rules. We don't want you falling in love with the how. We want you falling in love with the who. And that's what Jesus is trying to explain here. There's a 200-year-old phrase 
that captures what we believe. Here it is. In doctrine, unity. In opinion, liberty. But in all things, love. Love never fails. Christianity is not defined by what we do, but how we love. Mark 3. We go to the next chapter. Last part. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save a life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger. Now, this may be new to you. Jesus does get angry. Do you know when he gets angry? When people mistreat people. When people abuse people, it makes Jesus angry because he loves people. And he was angry here. They, they didn't want him to heal the man. Deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. This is why it's courageous. His life was on the line. So here's the final point, the most major point. Jesus was about people, not rules. He was about people, not rules. The Pharisees elevated rules over people. Jesus elevated people over rules. For some of you, this might sound like heresy, what I'm about to say. But if you have to bend some man-made rules to love people, Jesus is for it. He's for it. Let me give you an example. When you pulled up here today, there's three parking lots around here. But all of them, I think, on the very front of the parking lot, there's a red line. If you would have pulled up to our front doors and parked on the front doors, uh, we, we couldn't have had that. There's a red line. The fire marshal would have gotten mad. And, you know, if you do it, everyone's going to think they can do it. And so how do we want our greeters to handle that? Do we want our greeters to make the rule bigger than the person? Do we want them, hey, idiot, Pharisee, evil one, move your car or leave. Is that, what, is that how we want it to happen? No. You know what we would do? Hey, glad you're here today. Just so you know, that's, that's, we can't have you park in there. Fire marshal's not going to like it. But we can move it if you want us to. We have some teenagers inside the church building who'd love to practice some driving. And then you're going to say, oh, no, I'll, I'll move it. I'll move it. Oh, well, thank you so much. We appreciate that. People over rules. Just caring for people is more important than obeying man-made rules. There's a church in the Midwest called Westboro Baptist Church. You know what they do? They go around hating on different people groups, Jews, Catholics, homosexuals, all veterans. They try to attend as many veterans' funerals and protest against the people who have served our country. They hold up signs. I was looking at some of the signs last night when I was studying for this. I, I was going to show you pictures. I can't show you the pictures because it's too vulgar, and I honestly couldn't handle it anymore. Some of the things that they have said, thank God for dead soldiers. Thank God for 9-11. God hates America. In 2016, when there was a terrorist attack took place in an, in an Orlando gay nightclub, 49 people were killed. Westboro Baptist Church celebrated the terrorist attack. They call themselves a church. I just want you to know, we're not with them. We don't associate with that kind of stuff. They have missed the point. They have put their man-made rules over the caring of people. Jesus came to show us it's not about the rules. It is about loving people, loving individuals, loving souls.
So, whether you believe like us or not, you're welcome here. Whether you look like us or not, you're welcome here. Whether you talk like us, whether you live like us, whether your theology is like us, you are welcome here because we love you. And the reason we love you is because we have a leader who loved us first, even in the midst of our own sin. So I, I want to close with this story today. Max Lucado tells it well of a little girl named Christina. She lived with her mother, Maria, in a little Brazilian village, a dusty little village. And they didn't have much. Maria did everything she could to provide for her daughter, Christina. She just, she slept on a pallet bed and Christina had dreams of going to the big city someday. She knew her mother loved her, but she had these dreams of the city. And one morning, Maria woke up and Christina wasn't in the house and she immediately knew where she went. She'd gone into the city. And Maria also knew in order for her daughter to survive in the city, she knew what she would have to do to make money. And so she grabbed all of her money, everything she could, and she bought a bus ticket into Rio de Janeiro. But before she went, she went to the gas station and she went into a photograph booth and took as many pictures as she could afford, little black and white pictures of herself. And on the back of the pictures, she wrote a note on every one of them. And as she went into Rio, she knew the areas where street walkers were most common. So she went to the seedy hotels, the nightclubs, the part of town where they were common. And on every lobby mirror, on every hotel bulletin board, in every place that she could find, she put her picture with the hopes that one day her daughter Christina would walk by and see it and read the note on the back. She ran out of pictures, she ran out of money, she had to go home. She takes the bus ride home, crying the whole way because she never found her daughter. About one month later, Christina was walking down a hotel stairs, beaten up by life, the dance taken out of her beautiful eyes now, longing to go home, but too stubborn to do it. And as she's walking out the hotel, she looks over at the bulletin board and her eyes saw the familiar face of her mother. And she walked over to the picture and she picked it off the bulletin board. She turned it around and there was a note. And here's what the note said. Whatever you have done, whatever you have become, it doesn't matter. Please come home. And she did. And that's the invitation that Jesus gives to us, isn't it? Whatever you have done, whatever you have become, whatever rules you have broken, and we all have, please come home. Here's what I've learned about Jesus. You know what he wants? He doesn't want your order of service. He doesn't want my neat little sermons. He doesn't care all that much about Doug's song service. That was pretty good. He doesn't really care how you dress today. You know what he wants? He wants you. He's been going after you. And all the rituals and all the rigidity and all the stuff that we display I'm just here to tell you, he wants you. No matter what you've done, no matter what you've become, please come home. Let's pray. Father, the message of the gospel is clear. It is unlike anything else. It's not just one of the religions. As a matter of fact, Jesus came to abolish religion, an idea that we could ever prove ourselves to you. The message of Christianity is that you came for us. 
we love you because you first loved us. So Father, today, if there's anything that we grasp out of this passage, if there's anything that we grasp out of the character of Jesus, it's that he had the courage to show us that and he went to the cross for it. They ended up killing him. They're plotting it here in this passage and a few chapters later, they're putting it together, the cross. Father, thank you for the courage of Jesus and I pray for the courage of people in this room. Maybe they've been saying no to you for years. It would take courage to step out and say yes now and to have that conversation, but that's what we're praying for. It's in Jesus' name we pray.